So, in week one of this series, we saw that in the beginning, creation was abundant because the Creator is abundant. But we heard last week that we responded to the abundance of all that God had made with nothing more than an abundance of sin. And if we're going to be really honest, we should be because this is church. Whether we've done the sin or we've had it done to us, we know what it feels like to drive up that hill and come into this place with the weight of it about us, to have been somewhere or seen something or said something, and and to come in just wanting to be rid of it, to cast it off, to put it back at the foot of Christ and the foot of his cross and to start again. The good news is, You can. You can have a new beginning. In fact, you can have as many new beginnings as you like. Because last week we heard that which God abundantly created, and we more abundantly messed up, he yet more abundantly still redeems in the person of Jesus Christ. And today we see that which he redeems, he also blesses. Let's turn, shall we, in our Bibles to Acts chapter 2. And as we turn to Act 2, the page numbers are in the bulletin to help you. You find a catalogue in Act 2 of the abundant blessings of the early church. Now, if you look at Acts 2, verse 17, just jump back a little bit from the section uh, that we appointed for today. Note the way that Acts 2.17 is typeset oddly. They'd been primed to expect this. Uh, It's typed out in this way to tell us that this is a quote from the Old Testament from the prophet Joel. And the prophet Joel, writing hundreds of years before the events in Acts, describes something wonderful that will happen in what he calls the last days, where God says, verse 17, I will pour out my spirit. The promise of the spirit is being poured out. It literally... It means an abundant overflowing. That's what the word poured out means. It's why we chose the title for this series and the subtitle for the series and the the image on the bulletin cover and why we thought, uh, as we agreed the baptism date, that this would work so well. This pouring out is is an image of, of an abundant new creation, a fresh start, something new and something powerful and something wonderful, and we're being told to expect it now. This is the same spirit that filled Jesus. Verse 33 says that it's the same promise of the same Holy Spirit that Jesus received from the Father. It was by the same spirit, therefore, that Jesus made too much wine at the wedding in Cana. It was by the same spirit that Jesus and his disciples caught too many fish in the Sea of Galilee. By the same spirit that he made too much bread when he fed the 5,000. Always abundant is this Holy Spirit. And now, verse 33, Peter says, I know you've been waiting for this moment. I know you've been waiting for these last days. Well, that is now. God has poured out, he says, past tense. It's a done deal already. This that you yourselves are seeing and hearing in the present tense right here, right now. God has done the pouring, and now we're seeing the fruits of it. And so it's no surprise at all 
that his listeners being primed to wait for these last days and this outpouring of the Spirit, patiently waiting, suddenly seeing it being fulfilled with their own eyes and their own ears around them. Wonderful things going on in their church, just as there were in our church last week, a great emotional outpouring of the Spirit. They look at other people getting in on the action around them and they say, I want in too. How do I get in on this? And so they ask, verse 37, what shall we do? And in one sense, the answer is nothing. Nothing at all. Zilch, nada, zip, absolutely naught. Blessing is not extracted from God by our works. It overflows from the abundant redemptive grace of Christ on the cross. We don't extract a blessing. It overflows. Redemption, it says in Ephesians chapter uh, 1, is uh, something that comes from Jesus. We have redemption through his blood. Uh, The image we heard last week as we looked at this subject of redemption comes from a slave in a slave market. And like a slave to sin, only someone outside of your condition can bust you out. Only someone with greater holiness, greater power, greater resources can free you from your enslavement. And using money language to kind of give us some sense of the scale of the cost of our release, as though that were even possible, Ephesians tells us that the redemption price of your freedom from sin and your forgiveness was the blood of Christ himself. And Ephesians continues, oh, the riches of his grace that were lavished upon us in Christ. The word riches, it literally means a valuable or plentiful abundance of money. That's what it means. The verb, to lavish, means to make something abound or superabound. An abundant abundance of abundance abounded on the cross as Christ abundantly exchanged himself for the abundance of your sin. Sometimes feel with Paul as he writes, he just keeps repeating the same word over and over again until we get it. He even sometimes makes them up. Someone made one up on the internet about this. They made abound become uh, abundant. They made abundant become a verb. And they they said, let's do some abunding, church. (laughs) Romans 5.20 is a bit more pithy, less repetitive, and less made up. It simply says grace abounded. It abundantly overflowed from the cross. Redemption is never about what we must do. It is exclusively about what he did do Already, blessing overflows from redemption. And so, Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter speaking to them, trying to answer this question, what must we do? He says, you don't need to do anything. You just need to respond. You just need, verse 38, to repent. Now, when we hear this word repent, sometimes I think we... We tie that up with other images from the church world. And uh, perhaps the word penance comes to mind. And you start to think uh, that you must in some way make it up to God. You must do a penance. You must say a certain thing or do a certain thing or be in a certain place. And in some way take on some punitive churchness and, and beat yourself into the kingdom of God with a hair shirt and mortify the flesh. 
Really, the word repent has got nothing to do with that. The word repent says nothing at all about our actions. It is a word that is exclusively to do with our thinking. That's what repent means. It means amend your mind, change your mind. Uh, As Robert says to us sometimes in our staff meetings, change your stinking thinking. In the context of our series, I would say it means put your focus back on God. In the beginning, we were focused on God. We've lost our focus on God as a church. So repent, change your mind, turn around and look at him again, as it was in the beginning. If this is the first time that you are repenting, there'll be many more. Every time you come up this hill, you will come to repent. But if this is the first time that you are grasping the wonder of your redemption and the scale of the beauty and the abundance of of the cross, then the normal way to mark out that fresh, new, first-time repentance is through baptism. So Peter, saying it to them for the first time, says, Repent, verse 38, and be baptized. Baptism is the very opposite of us doing something. It is done to us. Baptism is meant to depict our surrender to Jesus Christ. It is meant to depict our being immersed in the abundance of his overwhelming grace. It is, as we go down into the waters, like the ultimate trust fall, as we let go and see what happens. It is a sign that we're now immersed in Christ and identified with Christ and buried with Christ and Therefore, we anticipate being raised with Christ and washed through the blood of the Lamb and cleansed and set free. It's a burial. It's a a birth. And it's focused on Christ alone. You don't bury yourself. That's my job. You don't birth yourself. Thankfully, that's not my job. (laughs) It's done to you. You receive it. This baptism that we do, that God does this weekend, will be in the name of Jesus Christ because it's all about Jesus Christ. Fancy's involved. We make some promises. But it's all about Jesus Christ, and it should be. The use of the name of Christ that uh, we also see in verse 38, I think verse 38 is is a big one, It clearly means that we're to focus on him and what he did, and that's why we use the name of Christ in baptism. But intriguingly, this phrase, name of, also uh, might have had a more commercial meaning in the way that it was used at the time. Sometimes name of was a phrase that uh, was used uh, to mean that something was charged to someone's account. Think about it. If you go to a club, Uh, Today, and you're with a member at the club, they might say to you, if you want anything, you want a drink or whatever, just go up to the bar and and use my name and and they'll serve you. So, for instance, if you go to the Pittsburgh Field Club, you can just say the name Chris Khan. (laughs) And then you can have all your drinks for free. And I found church, I'll share this with you, this technique, it works all over the place. If you, if you go to uh, the golf club, you can swim for free just by saying the word Smith, which is wonderful. At the Duquesne Club, you can just use the word Bevan and then you can eat for free. At Longview, they serve Macallan, 16-year, wonderful scotch, very expensive. 
And all you need to do to get one for free is to use the name Fletcher. (laughs) I just wonder, church, if anyone here happens to be a member at Oakmont. (laughs) I'd like to kind of collect the set, like the train stations in Monopoly. (laughs) What a wonderful thing. Just to go around Pittsburgh charging elaborate things to someone else's account. A great experience, unless, of course, you happen to be one of those I've just named, in which case... Maybe you've been wondering why you get all these big bills at the end of the month. <laughs> well, Callum, I didn't have that. No, it sounds outrageous, doesn't it? It almost sounds like theft. But in the same way, those who repent and are baptized in the name of Jesus have their sins charged to his account. An abundant new line of credit is opened for you in the name of Christ and it is infinitely greater than all of your debts that you have accumulated in this life. That would be wonderful, wouldn't it, if that were all our religion was about. If that was the sum total of our faith, wouldn't that be great? I was spiritually bankrupt and headed for death, but Christ allowed me to transfer all of that into his name. If that were the only point that we had to our religion, it would be the best one in the world. What an amazing faith. It would be unique, in fact. Every other religion has you pay for yourself. Every other religion leaps to answer these people's question. What must we do? Well, you do this, you do that, you do the other. You come in here, you do our thing, our way, and you give us a swipe of your credit card at the end, and then maybe, cross fingers, you can get saved. Our religion does not work that way. You must do nothing. In ours, you just need to receive. Christ takes on our death, takes on our sin. And what do we take on of his? Acts 2.38, there's a lot more to our religion than just salvation. Acts 2.38. 238, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and, underline the and, there's more. This is an exchange. You will also receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gratuity of the Holy Spirit is what this means. The bonus. There's more. I once had a summer job working in a rose field. I know that sounds pretty. They're pretty at one end, but they're quite spiky on the way up. Roses are quite nasty things, actually. And it was hard, hot, painful work. And throughout the job, because people would come and go at this job, it was so awful, they would keep saying, don't give up. Stick it out. See it through. Work the 12 weeks of the summer. And if you work the 12 weeks, at the end of 12 weeks, we'll give you a bonus at the end. The bonus, the bonus. They kept talking about it. Twelve weeks, the bonus. And they dangled this little bonus at the end of the summer over us to keep us going through all of this misery and stop us from giving up. Work 12 weeks, you get a bonus. We got halfway through the 11th week and they said, come into the office. They called us in and we thought, this is it. This is going to be the big payday. We've already sort of spent it in our minds. And halfway through week 11, they said this instead. I'm afraid... There's not quite enough work for the rest of the summer. Thanks for your time. Goodbye. What a disgrace. What an absolute disgrace. God is not like that. God does not dangle the Holy Spirit before us, saying if you could just do a bit more work, you could just then get the payout at the end. 
He doesn't say work hard and this is what you must do. And then, oh, sorry, you kind of failed at the last minute. Bad luck. See you. Goodbye. The Holy Spirit is given up front. That minute we receive salvation, we receive the Holy Spirit. Scripture even describes the Spirit as a deposit with which we are sealed for the day of redemption. Blessing flows from redemption. And it comes the minute you get a new life. Grace upon grace, gift after gift. And if you've been saved, then you have been blessed. So instead of what must we do, hello, instead of what we must do, is a much better question, how shall we respond? Verse 42. Look with me, please, at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, they devoted themselves. This is how they responded to all they'd been given. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of the bread and the prayers. Ordinary stuff, really, just church stuff. But what strikes me is they were devoted to it. That's the word I'd underline. It means they put their focus back on God. They were suddenly always in the word and always together and always in church and always at prayer. They became excited by their faith. They started to be defined by their faith. Church became the primary focus of their life because God had become the primary focus of their life. And of course, all sorts of abundant abundance flowed from this. Redemption, blessing, a changing of their life and a flowing of the Spirit. Verse 44 says, as the Spirit abundant, they had all things in common. Verse 45 says, and they were selling their possessions and belongings. Now, before anyone writes in and says, hang on a minute, Alex, this sounds like communism. None of that. This is not communism. The government didn't take it. They chose to give it. That's the point. And they clearly didn't give everything that they owned because verse 46 says they still had homes. So this is not wealth redistribution where all the poor suddenly get to live in palaces and all the rich have their heads chopped off. This is not France. It's abundance. It's America. (laughs) They wanted to give this stuff. It was their desire. They were devoted to it. Verse 45 says they wanted to give more. How could they not? After all, they'd received. And they wanted, verse 46, to attend more. How could they stay away with all that was going on? Everything that they were about became about God. And in their devotion, their first thought was how to use what they had for the sake of others before using it for themselves. When they were not in church, the building, they were still being church, the people, wherever they went, using their homes to bring in neighbors, bringing in non-Christian friends, having a meal, having a good drink, having the best stuff, giving abundantly to people around them till people did a kind of double take and said, what's going on? Sharing God's blessings with gladness, it says, and generosity. Of course, it's not surprising with all of this abundance, verse 47, that they got a few likes They had favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. When the church behaves like her redeemer, the unchurched start to ask, why? You know, um, church, someone at Urban Impact, our major mission partner, said to me recently over lunch that our mission contribution to them was one of the larger gifts that they had received this year. 
last Easter. We gave away our Easter offering, and uh, I got a letter from a food bank that said that our gift to them was the largest one they had ever had in all of their existence. And we only gave them half our collection. The other half, it went to a church in financial trouble, and their rector wrote to me, and he said that we were the only church in the entire diocese, in fact, the only church in the entire Anglican communion that responded to their plea for financial help. The Christmas before that, a church plant of 40 people said that our gift had made the difference between their church continuing for another year or closing down. The pastor said to me that when he told the church about it, the entire congregation gave thanks for Christ Church Fox Chapel. Someone from the church came up to me and at a conference, and they said, where do you worship? I said, Christ Church. They said, oh, you're that church. Our, our name, Fox Chapel, had become a byword for generosity. So how proud do you think it feels to be your pastor when you have a conversation like that? And yet, let's be really honest, these are just tiny sums of money, just glimpses of all that it could be. Less in total, all of those gifts added up together, less in total than the price of the average car in our parking lot right now. I think to get to the devotion levels of the early church, we might have to invert our giving practices and live off what we currently give away and give away what we currently keep, actually. We clearly get giving. We like it clearly understand giving. What if we understood abundance? What would happen if we understood abundance? If you've not seen blessing, if you've not really seen it, it can only mean one of two things. Either the people around you have not been redeemed, or more likely, for some reason, they've just not responded. So one question remains... How then shall we respond to the abundance of God's blessing? Let's pray. Lord our God, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the abundance of your creation and redemption and blessing. We thank you that all these things come from you and we only ever give of your own back to you. Lord, as we have our sins and manifold wickedness charged to the name of your account, let us be a people who take that desire to give that we already have and make it abundant. In the name of Jesus. Amen.